Well, hello, everyone. He's risen. So uh, this morning, we're going to consider that fact that not only is he is risen, but he is indeed risen. And the evidence of that is not only that his physical body was not in the tomb, but that his spirit was poured out as he asked. And the spirit is still doing that work of convincing sinners of their need for a savior. That's why we're here. And the way he does that is by the hearing of God's word. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke's gospel, chapter 24, Luke's gospel, chapter 24. And we're going to break in just a few verses after where Pastor Daryl ended earlier this morning. You'll recall that Jesus was crucified. It was the third day. And there were some disciples who, since it was the third day and they had not yet seen Jesus risen from the dead, they figured, well, guess that wasn't him. We'll head on home now. And so we engaged two disciples on their road back to their home of Emmaus. And lo and behold, Jesus joins them on this journey back to Emmaus. But God prevents their eyes from recognizing him for a time. And you think, well, why would God do that? Why wouldn't they just go, that's Jesus? Well, God didn't want them to recognize him right away because the story that we get as a result of the fact that he prevented them from seeing is for our benefit. But we can see how it is that we too can believe that Jesus has risen from the dead and we can see how it is that we too can belong to him and be raised with him when he comes again. So would you join me in reading Luke's gospel chapter 24 beginning in verse 21. These are the disciples on the road back to Emmaus speaking interestingly enough to Jesus. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he, meaning Jesus, who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came, saying that they also had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said. But him... They did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses, meaning the very first pages of Scripture, and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself, where? In all the scriptures, meaning the whole Old Testament's about Jesus. Don't you see it? And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going to go farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Would you pray with me? Father... We ask this morning that by the same power 
with which you raised the Son, by the same power with which you've convicted sinners of their sin down through the ages and turned them into agents uh, for you of the proclamation of your great good news. God, we ask this morning that your Spirit would be among us, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things in your Scriptures, namely, your Son is there. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We began with the verse, verse 21, where the disciples say, We were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. And what they discover in the verses to come is that Christ is indeed the one who has come to redeem Israel. All who belong to faith, to God by faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. And they discover that our redemption required not only the death of the Son of God, but also His resurrection. Why? So that we could have the transformation of heart that is required in order to live for God and pursue His purposes and His plan until He comes. Here's the reality this morning. Some of you are here this morning desperately hoping that the resurrection is real. You're here this morning, perhaps for the first time in a long time, and you've come here out of a state of hopelessness. And guess what? We've been praying all week long, indeed, for months now, that God would send us the hopelessness of Roanoke, and He would seat it right here, and then He would show you the hope of the gospel and transform your life from the inside out. So if you're here and you're hopeless this morning, guess what? We've been asking God to send you. We're glad you're here. You're here, some of you, because you're down to your last and only hope. Hope that Christ really is risen from the dead. You're in a dead-end job. You've got a child who's in the death of drugs and alcohol. You've got a marriage that's just about dead, and you're dead tired of being dead tired. And the reality is you want a life this morning that's more than about family, more than about self-awareness, self-actualization, educational attainment, career advancement, climbing the corporate ladder, physical health or financial security, or any of the other substitutes that the world wants you to sell your life out for, but you still have doubts about the resurrection this morning. And you know what? You're exactly right. If the resurrection isn't true, then we should all just quit and go home, get in our cars and have some good food and move on with our lives. But if the resurrection is real, that changes everything. Paul agrees with you. If he says this, if Christ isn't raised, your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins and you're going to die in your sins. But if the resurrection is real, everything is changed. If the resurrection is real, God has already provided for you and for me the soul-satisfying answer to the deadness that we feel and the deadness we know because of the sin and dysfunction of our very lives. So Luke writes this passage of scripture that we've just read to prove that the scriptures and a changed heart are all the evidence that we need to trust in Christ and receive all the benefits of life in him. Here's hope for the hopeless this morning. Christ is risen. Peter says this, we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the question some of you this morning may have is, how can I gain the resurrection? If it's really true that that there will be a day, though this body may die, that it can be raised to live forever in the presence and the fullness and the joy and the worship of God, I want in on that. How can I have a part of that? Two simple things we see in this text. First, we must believe all that the prophets have spoken 
We say that in verses 25, 26, and 27. And secondly, God must open our eyes and our hearts to receive him. You know, there are many good reasons to believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And in my sermon, I had about seven reasons other than the scriptures. But in the interest of time, I'm just going to cut those out. And I'm going to write a little article later this week and put those on our website at nrbc.org slash, and I don't know what the extension is going to be, but something like prove it, okay? But there's one, there's one reason that I want to give you before we dive into what the scriptures tell us, and it's this. If the disciples were lying about the resurrection, when they began to face persecution and floggings and beatings and ultimately many of them crucifixion themselves for their faith that Christ was risen from the dead, what do you think you would have done if you were just making it up? I don't know about you, but if I was making it up, I'd have said, hey, yo, I'm making it up. Jesus isn't risen from the dead. How about not hanging me on the cross right now? I'll go back to fishing and it'll be okay. But instead, almost all the disciples that's recorded for us in history give their lives for the fact that they saw the King of Kings and Lord of Lords crucified, buried, and then risen and raised and appeared to him multiple times. Indeed, Paul tells us he appeared to more than 500. And if they died, they died for a lie. And they, if they died in vain, if, they, if Jesus is not risen, and they died for a lie and they died knowing that they died for a lie. But Jesus Christ is risen. All that somebody had to do was produce a body and they couldn't do it. And in an instant, Christianity, unlike any other religion, goes like gangbusters. It crosses cultural barriers. It crosses linguistic barriers. It crosses socioeconomic barriers. People come in droves to trust a man who has risen from the grave, who will one day raise them up from the grave as well. Why? Because he really is risen from the grave. And we ought not be surprised by that fact. In the Old Testament tells us to look for the resurrection. Isaiah says, your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. Job says, as for me, I know my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Get this, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. Have any of you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You know, that's the good news this morning. You can know what you're going to get. You can know that you know that you're going to get life everlasting with Christ. All it is is simple as turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need your life, not mine. I need your resurrection, not the death that I deserve. It's just that simple. Well, in that movie, Forrest Gump, there's a scene, it's one of my favorite scenes, Lieutenant Dan, remember Lieutenant Dan? Legless Lieutenant Dan is in his wheelchair and there's a Christmas program in the back and they're making some sort of faint allusion to Jesus, little baby Jesus, and um, Lieutenant Dan turns to Gump and he says, hey Gump, have you found Jesus yet? Does anybody remember Forrest's response? Uh, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, sir. And you know, that is the problem with so many people who read the Old Testament. 
They don't realize who they're supposed to be looking for. They're supposed to be looking for Jesus. The the interpretive clue to the Old Testament is given in the very first story. God creates it. He wants us to live forever with Him as worshipers for Him, but we rebel against God and we fall. And the consequence of our fall is we're separated from a holy God and that God is going to make a way back for us to be restored to Him. How is He going to do it? There's going to be a man who's going to be born of a woman. He's going to be bruised, but in his bruising, the head of Satan will be crushed. From Genesis 3.15 forward, we're looking for this son who would come and destroy Satan and raise us up to worship with God forever. You don't go to the Old Testament and try to pick one little verse and say, see all the destruction and warfare there? Surely I can't serve that God. You're missing the point. The Old Testament is painting a picture for you so that when Jesus shows up, you go, that's the guy I've been looking for. And it drives me nuts when people come up to me and they say, see, I don't understand this one verse in the Old Testament. That's why I can't believe in God. And then I begin to try and explain to them why they can believe in God. And guess what? They tune it out. They don't want the answer. Should you be looking for Jesus when you read the Old Testament? Yes, you should. And may may we prove what Jesus says here this morning just for a moment? He says... You're slow of heart to believe all that the Scriptures promised. Well, just just indulge me for just a minute on who this Jesus is. Jesus is the Son born of a woman who is bruised and who crushes the head of Satan. Jesus is the Son like Abel who makes an offering that is acceptable to God and who is therefore despised and killed by his brothers. Jesus is the seed of Abraham who brings God's blessing to all nations. Jesus is the son like Isaac who obediently walks with his father up Mount Moriah carrying his own wood on his back to be offered as a sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God provided for us at Mount Moriah according to Genesis 22:14. Jesus is the prophet greater than Moses who does not strike the rock to give his people water. He is the rock who is stricken to give us his living water. Jesus is the firstborn lamb of God whose blood can atone not just for the lives of the firstborn but for the lives of every single son and daughter who places their faith in him. Jesus is the prophet greater than Joshua who conquers everything opposed to God so that we can enter his promised land. Jesus is the high priest who has no need to clean the holy place because he is the holy place. Jesus is the high priest who does not need to eat the offerings of the people because he offers up himself that we might feast on him. Jesus is the man, singular, of Psalm 1 who is blessed because he does not stand in the path of sinners and he delights in the law of the Lord and prospers in everything, even in his death, because his death is defeated when he is risen from the grave and he brings many sons and daughters to glory who trust in him. Jesus is the prophet like Hosea who continues to pursue his bride despite her wretched unfaithfulness. And some of you are here this morning because you've been unfaithful. You have not run yet to the Savior, but you've come here this morning because your mom or your dad took you to church or your grandmother took you to church or you did something way back when and you heard 
hope of the gospel and you ran into this place this morning saying, Jesus, could it just perhaps be true because I'm tired of the deadness of my life and I need to be risen with you. And there's a prophet greater than Hosea who is pursuing you this morning saying, I'm alive, I'm alive, I am risen and the Spirit of God is going to draw you in just a moment. We're going to baptize some people and celebrate the resurrection and we're going to give an invitation and if the Spirit is moving in your heart, don't deny it again. Come forward, give your heart to life and live a redeemed and transformed life forevermore because Jesus is like the prophet Jonah who's thrown to certain death by pagans who want to be held innocent of his blood and yet on the third day he emerges to bring God's salvation to all nations. Besides, besides verse 24, it is the third day since these things happened. The third day from the very first chapter of Scripture is the day of God's provision and salvation. Have you ever noticed in the six days of creation, the first day that's called good is day three? You know what happens on day three? God makes trees on day three. God makes vegetation on day three. He makes the stuff that we can eat and be provided for. And you know what He does according to Mark? Mark's gospel. It's no accident that Mark tells us that Jesus hung not on a cross, but on a tree. Because in Genesis chapter 1, God knew that before the foundations of the world, He would send His Son to rescue rebellious humankind. And on the ultimate third day, after God had hung on the tree that He made for your provision, which you rejected, He was risen from the grave and He conquered because He he hung on a tree for your salvation. I want you to do me a favor this morning after you sleep off the Easter lunch. I want you to go to BibleGateway.com and search these two words, third day. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed how often it is that God delivers His people on the third day. Why? Because the Old Testament is shouting at us, look for the third day. Hosea chapter 6, 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. Look for the Son, who though crushed, will be raised on the third day. And if you belong to Him by faith, His crushing will take place of the death that you deserve. And His resurrection will become your resurrection. And He will birth you into a community of people called His local church that will stand with you and hold you up and support you until He comes again. Peter tells us in his second letter, chapter 1, verse 19, He tells us that he was an eyewitness of the glory of Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, some of you this morning are saying this, man, if I could have seen Jesus glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration, then I would have believed. If I could have just seen Jesus, then I would have believed. Do you know what Peter says to that? He says, we have something more certain than my eyewitness testimony. It is the prophetic word, the scriptures, which you do well to pay attention to because it is like a lamp shining in a dark place. Jesus says, if you won't believe the scriptures in Luke 16, if you won't believe the scriptures that point to Jesus, you won't believe a man risen from the dead standing before you. 
We have something more reliable than a periscope or a video recording of Jesus taking off the grave clothes and walking out of the tomb himself. We have the word of God, which for centuries in very clear detail says, look for Jesus who will come and conquer death and be risen. You can believe in this king, this Messiah, this God, the son who is son of God slain for us. Frank Thielman says it this way. Such a correspondence between what the scriptures prophesy and what happens in the death of Jesus, once explained, can dispel the ignorance of those who reject Jesus. Some of you here this morning have been rejecting Jesus and your ignorance even now is evaporating and the Spirit of God is taking the word preached in order that you can run to Jesus and it can pave the way to their repentance and to God's forgiveness of their sins. Did you know your sins can be forgiven by God himself this morning? And at the same time, this correspondence between who Jesus is and what the scriptures prophesy can create in the heart of the church certainty that their faith is well placed as they go on mission with him. Here's the reality, church. We need to reevaluate Jesus in light of the scriptures and let the lamp of God's word drive out the deadness and the darkness of our sin-stricken hearts. God is here to deliver you from the deadness of life. And the first thing you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to actually read the scriptures and believe that they point to Jesus as they so plainly do. But secondly, God has to do something as well. God's got to open our eyes and our hearts to receive Him. We learn in verses 31 and 32 that God opens their eyes. Their eyes were opened. How did that happen? God allowed it to happen. The Spirit of God came and as the Scriptures were explained, they began to see who Christ was in the breaking of the bread. N.T. Wright says this, The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and we are now invited to belong to it. In just a few moments, we are going to baptize some individuals who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. And the reason we're going to do it is because baptism is a perfect thing to do on Easter Sunday. Did you know the early church, they baptized every single Easter Sunday? You know why? Because in baptism, we proclaim these truths. One who has given their, faith, their, their lives to Christ and placed their faith and trust in Christ Two things have happened. They've been buried with Christ. Christ's death counts in place of the death they should have had. And second, they've been raised up with Him. And His resurrection, the same power that God used to raise God from the dead, is the power that then dwells within you to give you power to live in victory for Him until He comes. And then He will raise up your physical body in the last days when He comes forever to worship with Him. Only God can heal your closed-mindedness to Him and His plan. Faith is not by what we see, but by hearing and supernaturally comprehending what has been written. The disciples did not need the bread that they ate with Jesus. What they needed was to receive the bread of life. They needed the resurrection of Christ to become the resurrection of their souls and the guarantee of their future resurrection with Him. I said at the outset that if you're hopeless this morning, that's great because we were hoping you would be here. 
Here's the answer to your hopelessness. If the resurrection is real, God has provided us with the soul-satisfying answer to the deadness we feel and to the deadness we know, which comes in a myriad of ways. It comes through betrayal, grief, greed, selfishness, idolatry, materialism, bitterness, rejection, deceit, injustice, and so many other ways that we encounter in this fallen world. But if, if the resurrection is not real, deadness lives and deadness wins. Period. If the resurrection's not real, we are hopeless. But the resurrection is real, hallelujah. Deadness is dead because the tomb is empty and the king is alive. And what I'm praying even now is that the spirit would awaken you to the reality that he lives and he lives that you might live forever with him. North Roanoke Baptist Church does not celebrate the resurrection as a one-act play. We don't celebrate the resurrection just on Easter Sunday. We celebrate it every Sunday. And we celebrate it every time someone comes and gives their life to Him. The resurrection is repeated every single time someone trusts in Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to baptize some individuals who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. Baptism is simply this. It's an outward picture of an inward reality. It's the picture of one's death with Christ and resurrection with Christ to live forever with Him. How does that happen? It happens by the work of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who opens our eyes, who causes our hearts to burn within us with the truth of God's Word. I don't know about you, but when I came to know Christ, my heart was burning within me. I, was, I couldn't wait for them to sing that last song because I had to get down there and tell somebody that I needed Jesus. And some of you, your hearts might just be burning within you this morning. That's not indigestion. That's God saying, I want to take the truth that's out there and I want to work it in here and make you a part of my family forevermore. And when he does this, listen to what Paul says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead is also going to give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus, by His Spirit, comes to penetrate your heart, to live in your heart, and to empower you to live for Him. That is the truth of the Gospel. That is the truth that some of you this morning absolutely needed, not just to hear, but to receive. And that is the truth that is already real in the lives of those we're about to baptize. After our baptism, we'll sing one last song. And guess what? You'll have an opportunity to come forward, to place your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe you want to come and join North Roanoke Baptist Church. We welcome you to do that. Some of you say, well, I can't join a church. I'm not baptized. Guess what? We'll baptize again very soon. So we invite you to come. Would you pray with me? Father, it's Easter. It's the day that you knew would come even when you set the world in motion. And yet you still made the world that would reject you And then you pursued us. And God, you've poured out your spirit and and you are pursuing some even now. So Lord, as we celebrate the resurrection with the baptism, may that work not stop just with the baptistry today. May it continue as you move among us for the glory of Christ and for the transformation of lives from hopelessness to everlasting hope. 
In Jesus' name, amen.